You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. All right, will you pray with me? Jesus, we love that we can just come to church and worship our face off. We love, God, that we can come and just worship you and exalt you and gather around your presence and minister to your heart. It is such a joy. It is such a joy to just get lost in your love, God. It is such a joy to be around your presence. And we just say your presence, Lord, is the thing we long for more than anything. More than anything, God. More than anything, we want your presence. More more than money, more than careers, more than the dream job. We want your presence, Jesus. We want your presence. We want your tangible presence with us each and every moment. And we ask, God, that you would even increase our awareness even greater to your presence, to your movement, and what you're doing. And I just yield to you, Jesus. And I, I just felt like we need to pray for anyone who has an anxious heart. We just speak peace to right now, God. Anyone who has had a hard week and just came to church and just like, I just, oh, I'm so heavy. I just feel like the Lord just wants to lift that burden right now. Just lift it. Just give it to him. Yeah. Thank you. You invite for your leadership right now, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, I'm excited. No, like I'm really, really, really excited. Like I'm in a good mood, excited. No, but seriously, like I feel like I've, we, we had our college uh, young adult winter retreat last week. <laughs> and we experienced, oh, We experienced the presence of Jesus in ways that have cha- that has changed my life and will change my life forever. Being in a room of people pursuing God's heart with everything, and when His presence shows up, it changes everything. It changes everything, and so all week I've just been thinking about the presence of Jesus. All week, I've just been thinking about the reality that 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 is the one place I want to be all the days of my life is in his presence. Like, and I believe we've talked so much as a staff lately in in our Sunday debrief. Like, every time we're debriefing our Sunday service, we're like, we feel like there's an increased presence at River House right now. Like we've been coming week after week and we've just been discerning and sensing that there is an increase of the presence of God in our family, amen? And I I actually hesitate to say there's been an increase because I don't know if it's actually an increase or we're actually just becoming more aware that he's here. You, you know, and so I just, I feel like the Lord is, is drawing us as a church uh, into the season of the simplicity of the presence of Jesus, Like, I really do. Like, I feel like he is making the presence our priority. And he's making it our priority because the presence of God is the thing that separates us from all of creation. 
the presence of Jesus, the fact that I am in Jesus and Jesus is in me, that I am a living tabernacle of the presence of God, like that reality is what separates me from every religion, from everything. That's the thing that makes us world changers is that reality. Right, like we can work on our character and that is beautiful and yes, we will work on our character. Yes, we need to spend time in the word and dive into the word of God and have firm theological, biblical understanding. But but all of those things are to point us to the presence of Jesus that lives in us. Like all of those things are to lead us to the presence because if we're just moral people, that doesn't really change that much. If we just have a bunch of head knowledge, that doesn't really change that much. Like the presence of Jesus, his power living inside of me and living inside of you is the thing, is the thing that separates us from all of creation. And you know, I've been sitting here all week just praying, God, like, please, like, I feel like the last 15 times I've preached, it's been on the presence. And he's like, I don't care. Stay there. Stay there because that's where all transformation happens. That's where transformation happens is in the presence of God. Will we be a people who look to grow in character? Yes. Will we be a people who are firmly rooted theologically? Yes. But we will, all that has to drive us to the presence of Jesus, to his spirit. Amen. And I believe he's, he's increasing his presence in our worship time. Um, honestly, like to bring this awareness of like, this is where you need to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> like th- this is where you need to be. Like I've, I've heard so many times, so many times from people from our church, more than I count, can count on one or two hands, that, that I'm not even a church pers- person. I don't really like church, but I keep coming. Because when I'm there, I feel and I experience the presence of God. You know, and so, like, I believe firmly that the church has two calls, has two missions. The first mission is that, kind of what I spoke on two weeks ago, is that we are to be a people who gather around the presence of God and minister to his heart. Like, that is our first call. Like, our first call as believers is to be a people who gather around the presence of God and just worship him and praise him and honor him. Like that, amen? And that's what we've been talking about, and that's what we're doing, right? Like, how many of you love coming to church because you love gathering around the presence, right? Like, it's amazing. Worship is the best. Like, we just worship for an hour, and I got 20 minutes to preach. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) but like even I'm preaching tonight and you know I should be concerned about time but I'm like who the heck cares like I'm I'm, I want to worship I want to praise him because it happens so we're called as a church to gather around the presence to minister to his heart but our second call our second mission is to be a people who go out into the sick and suffering world and carry and release that presence everywhere we go. And if I'm just being honest with you, I feel I'm speaking a lot from my own life and my own heart tonight. Is that cool? But I'm really good at gathering around the presence. I love it. I can get just lost. You know? But like, 
Am I releasing the presence of Jesus everywhere I go? Am I a man where where everywhere I walk, I live as Jesus is in me and I am in him? That, That I have all of heaven backing me and that there's the sick, dying, and suffering world around me that needs a touch of the presence. Like, that is our call. That is what Jesus did. I, I, so, like, I've been reading the book of Luke, and I've been reading the book of Acts, and you guys, like, Jesus was a man who gathered around the presence, but then he was a man who demonstrated what the presence of God does in public, ordinary places. Like, like I, I can't remember. I heard it in a sermon one time, or I read it in a book, but it's like something like 20% of the book of Luke is miracles, signs, wonders, healings of like Jesus demonstrating the presence of God in public, ordinary places, right? We look in the book of Acts, and every stinking page, there's a miracle, Every page, someone's getting healed. Blind eyes are opening. Lepers are walking. And I just like, it was reading this this week, and I'm like, ah! Like, I honestly, like, I don't see enough of that. Like, I, I'm not making up that I'm experiencing this presence in church. Okay, but am I allowing that to so transform my life? that I carry that presence and release it everywhere I go. You know, and God woke my booty up in September. Like, I don't usually tell that many stories, but I felt like the Lord just wanted me to tell, like, a few stories tonight. Is that cool? And so, wow. And so, like, this really, for me, is when God started bringing my awareness back to the simplicity of his presence. Is I uh, I was heading home in September. Um, I was heading home to September. It was my birthday. I was preaching at my my church down there, and uh, every time I go home, like home is a painful place for me. And so every time I, I go home, it's hard. It's difficult. And I knew that this time going home was going to be really hard. Like I knew there were certain f- family dynamics that were taking place that was going to like require EGR, extra grace required. I knew. I knew I was meeting people, I was going to experience things where extra grace was required, you know what I'm saying? And so, and you can ask my wife, she's not here tonight, but every time, or Riley, Riley experienced it this last time I was home, like every time I go back to Newport, I'm grumpy, like so grumpy and moody, and you don't really want to be around me. Because I, I really, I'll just be honest, it's painful, and a lot of times I'll just get into victim mode and blah, 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 you know? Stupid. But I said, I was, in, I was on the plane, and I told the Lord, I said, Jesus, this is going to be harder than most. I know it. I can feel it. I can sense it. And so everywhere I go, every moment of this five days that I'm home, I am going to be in you, and you are going to be inside of me. And when I walk, you walk. When you walk, I walk. When you speak, I speak. When I speak, you speak. Because I am in you and you're in me. And I believe that, that in the midst of this weird dynamics, that God, you are going to give me peace. Right? I believed it. And so, like, I, but I, listen, like, I'm just fighting for my, I'm like being selfish, bro. You know, like, this is so AJ can maintain healthy uh, emotional stability. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's all this prayer is for. 
not thinking that like God's gonna show up in some crazy, powerful, mighty ways. Like I'm expecting just my own peace. That's what I was fighting for. But when I was there, keep in mind, I lived in this city for 26 years of my life, 25 years of my life. And I worked as a pastor there. And in these three days, I saw God use me in a public, ordinary place, unlike I've ever seen him in my life. And, and for me, like, God showing up in public places, like, consisted of when I was in India or when I was in Mozambique or, like, when I'm going on evangelism nights. Never on just, like, in America on just, like, an ordinary day, if I'm being honest, which is not what the Bible says, like, We'll get into that in a little bit. But anyway, so I, me and my friend, and I just feel like I'm supposed to share a couple of these stories. And so, so me and my friend are at the beach. We're hanging out, walking around. I was like, I want a smoothie. You know, it's kind of what you want on the beach. You want a smoothie. So go to this smoothie it's place. It's really crowded. There's a, there's a long line behind us. And the, the lady at the cash register starts, like, really talking to us. And, you know, for Idahoans, that's, like, normal, you know? That's very normal. But... Someone from California, like, people don't look at you. It's like, give me your card. Thank you. But seriously, it's like the first time I ever came to, I was in Idaho. I went to the grocery store, and I was, like, in the middle of living, like, a really bougie life. Have any of you guys heard of alkaline water? Yeah, right. I'm from California, okay? So I get, I get moved to Idaho. I go to Albertsons, and I get alkaline water, and I was like, oh, great. And as I'm walking in the grocery store, all these people are like, what's that? What's that? They're like talking to me. I'm like, bug off, dude. I'm just trying to, just trying to buy some stinking water. Another person comes up to me. What's that? I've never, it's called alkaline water, okay? Get, I'm like, why is everyone talking to me? Get to the cash register and the lady's like, we carry this? I'm like, dude, what is up with this place? Now I love it because I love talking, but just not used to it, right? So this lady, there's a long line behind us, and she's just like, oh, so why are you here? Where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm actually, uh, I'm from here. Um, just visiting, though I live in Idaho now. I'm actually preaching at my church that I used to, to work for. She's like, oh, awesome. You know, I'm actually going, this is the girl speaking. She's like, I'm actually just got out of a really ugly divorce um, that was really painful and really hard. Starts opening up, and then she goes, but guess what? It's okay, um, because I'm actually dating a guy now that's a pastor and is going to start a church in Las Vegas. And inside I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then I go, oh, well, you know, what kind of church is it? She's like, oh, it's great. It's a church where you can come and worship any God you want. Any God you want, you can just come into this church and just worship with everything you have. And I was like, okay, maybe not so great, you know. <laughs> Anyways, I looked at her and I was like, uh, invited her to church, not thinking she would, because I've invited hundreds of people to church in Newport, and none of them have ever come. <laughs> and sure enough, this girl shows up, and uh, she sat next to Brittany and Allie, and um, preached my sermon. I can't remember for the life of me what I preached on, but she comes up to me afterwards, and she says, H.A., that day yesterday when I saw you 
there was something different about you and your friend. I saw light on you. And I knew that whatever you carried, whatever you had, like I knew I needed what you have. And now hearing about Jesus, like this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I desire. And she just encountered the presence of Jesus and started weeping, right? And so I'm like, holy moly, this is weird. Like, not used to this, but okay, Jesus, I'm in you, you're in me. I'm in you, you're in me. I'm like, oh, I worked here for <laughs> 10 years or five years as a pastor. Nothing that cool ever happened. <laughs> I thought it was done, right? Next day, I'm not going to tell this story long, but a bunch of us are all jacuzziing in this neighborhood and having a great old time. And sure enough, there in walks this crew of like 12 13, 14-year-olds who are hammered drunk, hammered drunk. And I knew what it was because that was me when I was there. That was me. And it was bad. It was ugly. I'm not going to tell the story, go into full detail. But essentially, Brittany and Allie started ministering um, to, and really helping one of the girls who was so drunk that, like, she probably needed to be taken to the hospital. And her friends were just going to leave her there, you know, and honestly, if she would have left there, I don't know what would have happened to this girl. It was that bad. I'm not trying to be dramatic, just being honest. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I felt the presence. I was like, okay, I'm in you. You're in me. Let's go do this thing. And so I walked up to the sober kids, which was only like three of them. And then the other were like half drunk. And I was just saying, hey, I'm AJ Swice. I was born in this community raised by two alcoholics. When I was 13, 14, 15, when I was 14, 15 years old, I was drunk every single weekend. But let me tell you, I gave my life completely to Jesus, and he completely transformed my life. And you don't need to be like every other kid that goes and grows up in Newport Beach, and you don't have to be that kind of kid who just leaves a little 13, 14-year-old girl drunk overnight who might not make it. And I just started sharing my heart, sharing my testimony. And the three sober kids just started weeping, tears streaming down their face. And they said, I'm going to go to church this week. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I want to be the kind of friend that lives for, the, for Jesus, you know? I'm like, come on, right? And like, this is so epic. God's using me in ordinary places. Buckle up for this one. This one's going to blow your mind. It's probably going to offend a bunch of you too. Oh, I'm serious. I love you. But this one's, this one's kind of gnarly, man. So anyways, I'm like kind of tripping out. I'm like, Lord, what is this about? And he just kept whispering to me. He's like, AJ, you said on the plane that I'm in you and you're in me. You're releasing me everywhere you go. And you're actually just aware of it right now. I'm like, all right, here we go. And so it's like the last night, I leave, I leave at 7 a.m. the next day. So last night, it's like 11.45 midnight. I'm going to hang out with one of my best friends that I grew up with down there. And as I'm on my way there, my little brother, Zach, who was at YWAM, he calls me, and he's all fired up. You know how YWAMers are. They're just like, oh, I'm so fired up for Jesus. And he calls me. He's like, AJ, I learned the craziest thing today. And I was like, what? He's like, dude, listen to this. If God tells you to do something and you're 51% sure that God's telling you to do it, you do it and you step out and risk. And that's how you see the kingdom of God come. 
And I was like, cool, bro. You're a fired up YWAMer. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, just like insp uh, zero inspiration. <laughs> In the moment, I was just, yes, the Lord's answering my prayers for my little brother. Amen. And so anyways, going hang out with my friends, like 1230 midnight now. On my way home, this is the part that's going to offend some of you. Buckle up. And I'm on my way home. I got an early flight the next day. And I know this sounds so weird, honestly. And I joke about the offending thing, but I know this sounds weird. I really do. But I felt like God spoke to me and he said, AJ, I can't believe I'm saying this right now. <laughs> I really can't. I felt like... <laughs> It sounds so crazy, so that's why I'm hoping you can feel me here, because I feel like a lunatic sharing this. <laughs> but I felt like Jesus said to me, AJ, on your way home, I want you to stop at the gas station. I want you to buy a pack of cigarettes. I was like, what? <laughs> buy a pack of cigarettes? Like, weird. Then Zach came into my head, 51%. <laughs> 51%. And I'm like, okay. I was like, all right, worst case scenario, right? I, I waste whatever it was, eight bucks, you know? And so I know the gas station, been there my whole life. Get up there, pull in. There's just the cash register and one other dude in there. I'm like, hi. I'll get the camel. You know? Uh, it's like the only commercial I ever remember, you know? And so I'll get the camel. And the guy goes, okay. And, I f and you guys, I felt like an idiot. Like, I really did. I felt so dumb. And as I'm on my way out, not the cash register, but the other dude looks at me. He goes, hey, bro, can I bum one off of you? And I said, well, dude, this is going to sound crazy. <laughs> but I just felt like God told me to, like, come here to buy a pack of cigarettes and I don't smoke, so maybe they're for you. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so he's like, what is wrong with this dude? <laughs> and I'm like thinking the same thing, you know? <laughs> like, how do I explain that Jesus told me to buy a pack of cigarettes? <laughs> oh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> and so, Anyways, he's like, okay, weird dude. And I was like, yeah, come outside. Let's chat. And so I go, so uh, how's your day going, bro? And he goes, well, funny you ask. It's the worst day of my life. And I was like, oh. I go, why? And he was like a normal looking dude, had some tattoos or whatever, but like normal, not homeless, none of those vibes. And he's like, well, I just got out of jail right there. And it's the little town jail right there. He goes, had his little jail bag. And he goes, I was uh, picked up um, this morning for being drunk in public. And uh, I missed my flight. My whole family lives on the East Coast. It's 2 a.m. now. I don't have a wallet. I don't have my ID. I don't have anything. I have no idea what to do. And I just... No one's answering my calls. I don't, bro, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, do you remember where you got picked up? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, let's go look for your wallet. So he hops in my car. I'm like, 
so, you know, try to, like, not feeling holy at all. I still am not getting the picture. And I'm like, so, uh, why are you in Newport? He's like, and he said this word for word. He said, uh, I'm in Newport because a week ago my mom died. And the last thing I said to her was the worst thing a son could ever say to his mother. And I heard that Newport Beach is the place to come and numb your pain and party and have fun. And I was like, wow. He's like, yeah, so I came down here five days ago. I've been drunk five days in a row. I bought a $10 million home. And uh, yeah, he said that, $10 million home. And, uh, and now this is the most humiliating moment of my life because I was in jail all day. I missed my flight. Oh, and by the way, the flight that I missed was my own private plane in Burbank, and I can't even get on my own private plane because I don't have my ID in my wallet. And I was like, oh, I'm with somebody right now. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, for those of you who aren't familiar with with Newport Beach, like a $10 million home there is not absurd. Just telling you, just so you're not like, this guy is scamming you. (laughs) And so anyways, I go, well, bro, like, what do you do? You know, I was just like trying to keep the conversation light. And he goes, oh, well, you never know who you're going to meet every day. And I go, well, who are you? And I go, definitely wasn't planning on meeting you. And he goes, uh, I actually own the, the, one of the biggest marijuana farms, uh, legal marijuana farms in California. And he's like, yeah, so I'm just filthy rich and wealthy. I'm like, cool, good on you, you know, whatever. Like, not really cool, but... We, get, we end up getting to the place, uh, to the bar or whatever, where he thought he left his wallet. And right before he got out of the car, he looks at me and he says, well, can I ask you, what do you do? And I said, well, you never know who you're going to meet every day. <laughs> <laughs> and he started chuckling and he said, why? I said, well, I'm actually a pastor. And instantly tears filled his eyes. And he said, I need to smoke. <laughs> And so he went outside, he smoked a cigarette, and uh, I could tell he was super disturbed. Like, what the heck is happening to me right now? Went inside, couldn't find his wallet. He's still standing on the curb, and he looks inside. He goes, hey, bro, have you ever heard of an organization called YWAM? (laughs) And I was like... Uh, bro, you need to get in the car right now because the only reason I stopped for you was because my little brother, who's at YWAM right now, called me earlier today and said, if you feel like God 51% tells you to do something, you just do it. And so I'm like, I felt like God told me to buy that pack of cigarettes. And I'm like, God wants to meet you. Get in the car right now. And he got in the car, he got in the car, and, he, and I said, bro, no offense, I'm definitely not a judgmental pastor. As you can see, I bought you a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, you really don't seem like the kind of guy that gives money to YWAM. Like, just, you don't. Like, I don't know many drug dealers giving money to YWAM. <laughs> and he was like, Yeah, well, let me tell you the story. He said, when I was 18 years old, I was in my dad's strip club, grew up in the mafia, and a woman walked into that strip club, and she looked at me, and she said, hey, I want to talk to you. 
She pulled me outside. She shared the gospel with me. She plugged me into a church. And this woman was from YWAM. And she led me to the Lord, and I never stepped foot in a strip club again. I left my family. I plugged into the church she plugged me into. I found my best friend. I found my wife. And I fully gave my life to Jesus and gave him everything. And I said, well, dude, what happened? I said, what happened? And he said, well, a few years into our marriage, we had kids. And eventually I found out that my wife cheated on me with my best friend who was also in the church. And I was so devastated because I just thought I saw hypocrisy and that like at least the people in the strip clubs were being real to who they were. But the people in the church just did all this stuff behind their back. And so I just said, I'm never stepping foot in one of those places ever again. And he goes, you did. And I said, I went right back to my old way of living. I became a millionaire. I said, yes, you did. And I said, well, what's God saying to you right now? That's what I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. He didn't want me to speak to him, anything. He just said, what's God telling you? And the man just breaks. And he says, in the worst moment of my life, when I feel the furthest from God, on a day when I can't even get on my own private plane, I've been thrown in jail, I've just been numbing my pain for five days straight, on that day, God sends me a pastor to show me that he still loves me, that he's still pursuing me, and that he'll never, he will never do anything but pursue my heart. You know, and it like those three days wrecked me. I ended up getting him a hotel room. He just goes, I will never be the same. He called me that next morning. He's like, Pastor, I will never be the same. And like, as I've been sitting in church, gathering around his presence, as we've been in gathering and like experiencing the more of his presence and the more of his increased glory in our, the four walls of our church, I've been so overcome with joy, but I have also been so deeply disturbed as I've been reading the Bible, as I've been reading the book of Acts and I've been reading the book of Luke, when God invaded ordinary places so often. Like that was the, there's, there's just as many times where Jesus healed somebody and performed a miracle and signs and wonders as there are his teachings. The book of Acts, there's more miracles than there are teachings. And I just feel like the Lord so strongly is like, church, as I am increasing my presence in your worship, expect it to start coming in your life. Expect it to start infiltrating the workplace. Expect it to start coming and showing up in ordinary places. Because that's what the kingdom is, right? Like, I just feel like this unction from the Holy Spirit, whoa, where he's just like, come on, church. Take my glory to the ends of the earth. Take my kingdom and demonstrate my power. Demonstrate what you experience in this world. Amen? And so, honestly, since that weekend, like, because it was totally unplanned, right? Like, none of those situations I could ever make up or, like, just, it was God-ordained in public places. God showed up. 
And I remember getting on that plane and I said, God, I need, to, I need to figure out how I can see this more. Like, I believe that you opened up heaven. You allowed me to experience something that I am not familiar with so that I can continually living that way. I do not want moments like that to be the, expe- to be the exception, but I want that to be the normal. Like, I, I hate that I only have three stories to tell you. You know, like, I want to be up here and just get on a chair and just be like, let me tell you all the things that God has done and how he's met people in a broken, sick, and dying world in a powerful, mighty, tangible way. Amen? And so as I've been reading the Bible, I'm, I'm going to just take probably 10, 50, 10 more minutes. As I've just been diving into Scripture, at reading the Gospels and reading the book of Acts, I felt from the Holy Spirit that, that, that the Father, that the Holy Spirit was telling me, AJ, as you're reading the Gospels, in particular, the book of Luke, I want you to read it observing Jesus' lifestyle, not just the principles that he taught. Like, I want you to look at how he moved, at how he lived, the, the, his daily practices, his routines. I want you to watch his lifestyle because the reality is, you guys, is we are not following principles. We're not following a checklist. Like, we're following a man. Like, a man who has rhythm, a man who has habits, a man of the way took on flesh and lived his everyday life. We are following the way, right? And sometimes I think as we're reading scripture, we can read like that Jesus prayed to heal, but it's like, what was he doing before that, right? Like we can read, blessed are the poor in spirit, but like what, who were the people gathering? What was the lifestyle? What was it like, you know? And so as I've been reading, I've just been like, Lord, help me understand so I can be more like you, so that when I'm in public places, I can see the kingdom of God come. And the number one thing, as I've been reading through all the gospels, the thing that disturbed me, the verse that disturbed me the most, was John 5, 19 through 20, where it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus' lifestyle was a lifestyle of a follower. Jesus did nothing but what he saw his father doing, right? I was talking about this with Jake this week in the office. I was talking about it with Jordan when we were experiencing the glory at college retreat because Jesus was leading the whole thing and we were following him. But when Jesus was on earth, he did nothing but what he saw his father doing. So Jesus' lifestyle was a lifestyle of a follower. And because Jesus was the best follower of the one, that's what qualified him to be the greatest leader. The thing that qualified Jesus to carry the presence of God was because he was following his father while he was on earth. He did nothing but what he saw his father doing. 
And Jesus is looking at us and says, if you want to be a good, if you want to be a leader in this world where you are leading organizations, where you are in government, where you are in churches, where you are in these things, and you want the presence of God to come, be a good follower. Be a good follower. Don't make your own agenda. Allow him to make your agenda. Because Jesus didn't make his own agenda. (laughs) Jesus didn't have his own to-do list. He did nothing but what he saw his father doing. Everything he did was by the leadership of his father. So for us to be leaders of the presence, we must become good followers. Amen. And the thing that I love about Jesus, and this shows the character and the heart of God, is that almost, it's not every time, but almost every single time Jesus healed somebody in the book of Luke, it was an interruption to something he was already doing. He didn't get a prophetic word. He didn't get a word of knowledge. He wasn't walking expecting for the bleeding woman to tug on his cloak. Almost every single time Jesus healed someone, it was an interruption to his day where he had to stop. Right? When he's preaching and they lower someone to the roof, that's an interruption. When Jesus is on his way to heal the the daughter, the woman grabs his cloak. When Jesus was on his way to Samaria, the lepers were healed. If we want (laughs) to be like Jesus and see his kingdom come, we need to be interruptible. Jesus was busy. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Read this book. He's always going somewhere. And he had walk everywhere. He was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. He didn't have his his to-do list. Like, I am like the opposite of most people. I hate checklists. I hate them, hate them, hate them. Because Because I don't feel satisfied unless I get them done. But the reality is I never get them done. Because I'm so easily distracted, but I'm serious. Like, <laughs> not about the checklist thing. I guess some of you run big organizations and stuff, you know. You need checklists to do lists. But I really, like, believe. I believe the Lord is, is, is asking me to communicate. Like, if Jesus was interruptible, so can you be. Like, Let's be a people who, like, we do this at staff sometimes, and it's amazing, where Jordan, like, leads us into the prayer room, and he just says, God is going to make our agenda today. God is going to lead our agenda. God is going to get us into rhythm of how we're supposed to work this week. You know, one of my greatest things that my boss, Jordan, says to me is, AJ, if you need to spend all day in the prayer room, that's what I want you to do. Even if you have 10 other planning center things you want to do, AJ, I'd rather you be in the presence of Jesus than just checking off to-do list. Because that's where the ideas come. That's where you learn to not hurry, but be busy with purpose. Amen? All right, I'm going to skip some things. 
because I want to honor your time. And the second thing that I think that we see in the life, the second observation I made, or third, I guess, the first was that Jesus was a follower, which is what qualified him to be a good leader. The second observation is that Jesus' ministry was a ministry of interruptions. Can you imagine if, like, like all the interruptions that, like how many times, when I was reading that this week, I'm like, how many times am I so concerned with getting what I need to get done that I'm not allowing myself to be interrupted? Like how often in my life, because the reality is, why did the kingdom show up so powerfully when I was in Newport? I was on vacation. I wasn't working I was just chilling at the beach, and I said, God, I'm in you. You're in me. What would it look like if I did that every day in my workplace? What would it look like? I would stop. I would love people so much better. I would be okay with the alkaline lady not knowing what alkaline is. I'd say, God bless you. You'll be healthier because you drink this. I'm just kidding. I actually don't believe in that. Jackie's offended. <laughs> Just kidding. And the third observation um, that I saw in the life of Jesus is that he lived a life of gratitude. He lived a life of gratitude. And as we know, when we come into our heart posture to worship him, we always come in with thanksgiving, right? But Jesus actually demonstrated a heart of thankfulness in the midst of some really crazy, mighty miracles. Before Jesus fed the 5,000, he had his fish, and he had his bread, and he just goes, thank you, fed the 5,000. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he says, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for I knew you would hear me. He lived a lifestyle of gratitude. And when we live a lifestyle of gratitude, we, one, won't hurry, and two, we'll be present more, and three, we subject ourselves to the will of the Father. Because when we're thankful, we're saying, I can't do this, you can. Thank you. Amen. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20 says, be very careful then how you live. Not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God, the Father, for everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to start seeing God showing up in ordinary places, we are filled with the Spirit of God, and all day long we are living as living tabernacles, where we in our heart are all day singing songs from our heart to Him of our thankfulness, of our gratitude, for that He is our leader, He is our King, who is paving the way in the midst of the impossible situations. Amen? Like, we must be a people who sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to him in our heart all day long. The, like, to be a tabernacle means that we need to sing to him all day in our heart. Make music by Jesus. Thank you that I get to set up. Thank you that I get to tear down. Thank you, Jesus, that I get to do all of these things. I'm thankful. 
Amen. Last verse, just to make this thing a little bit more legit. <laughs> Romans 1, 21 through 24. This is Paul speaking to what an ungrateful heart would have neither glorified him as to. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is over and who is forever, amen. Because they remained ungrateful and unthankful to God, it brought them into opposition to God. Do you see that? Michael Miller, the pastor of Upper Room, says that if an ungrateful heart is the thing that makes you oppose God, then what does a grateful heart do? It makes you his friend. Thankfulness is the hinge that leads way to the presence of God showing up in our lives. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening to the River House podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.